0: hello everybody and welcome you're listening to talk clean to me i'm your host joe karen
1: and i'm chloe holzinger
0: and today we are sitting down with our new friend robert robert if you could go ahead and introduce yourself your role in your company and what your company is
2: Sure, I'm Robert Cooper, I'm founder and CEO at MBU. Uh, at MBU, we we deliver apartment building intelligence. So we take large apartment complexes, uh, we put IoTs in those complexes, and we deliver a service that really makes those buildings intelligent. And really, what that means for the owners and managers, uh, those are our customers, the owners and managers of these of these properties, is we're really allowing them to save money in in three different ways at the same time as providing a smart home amenity for their residents. So those three ways are basically energy. Uh, There's a ton of energy wasted in different ways in these properties. Um, One of them is insurance losses. So just like you can in your own home, you can put in water leak detectors. Uh, You can detect problems before they become costly disasters. Um, That's huge. Uh, Really, the big one, the big one that saves them money is really service efficiency. So, that means things like finding out about problems in a proactive way, being able to um, know what's going on in the apartment, know whether people are comfortable or not comfortable without having to visit the apartment. And, you know, stuff doesn't just break um, on the first cold day of winter. Uh, Frequently, you know, that heating has been having some problem for a while, but nobody calls about it until it's, you know, it's, it's 20 or 30 degrees out. Mm-hmm. Turns out that those problems have been there all along, um, and if you have decent uh, devices in the apartments, and you have decent analytics looking at those, you can find out about those problems early, you can schedule maintenance of those problems before they become uh, reported by the resident, and um, that's a win-win situation.
1: So. Who do you view as MBU's competition and how do you differentiate yourself?
2: Sure. So, you know, everybody's heard about the technology available in single family residential. So they've heard about, you know, the Nest thermostat. Last week they would have heard about Ring Doorbell um, being acquired by um, Amazon. And, you know, those technologies are something where those kinds of technologies are something we're building on. But there's a big difference between. Selling into the single family residential space where the the p- person that purchases the product, the person that operates the product and the person that lives in that residence are all the same person and once you split those th- three roles up, which is what happens in multifamily you really need a very different product experience so we don't regard the mainstream single family residential direct to consumer um, um, Companies as as competition, we're really leveraging what they do in in, in, in different ways. You'll also find um, in large commercial buildings like the the one we're in right now. You know, there's a lot of building intelligence. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of systems in these buildings. And I actually heard uh, somebody from one of the large, uh, you know, global, you know, real estate construction and development companies talking about the problems in these kinds of buildings where. They uh, have siloed networks. They have a fire protection network. They have a HVAC network. They have a, a data network. And I was thinking, silos. We don't have that problem in multifamily. We're still out in the cornfield. We don't even have a single silo. So it's really an untapped market for this kind of technology. So it sounds like you're pretty happy with your product
0: market fit. Was that always the case? Did you knock it out in one? Or what was the process like of finding the right market for your product?
2: Sure, sure. So we started in the multifamily space, um, you know, early 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a prior company before that that was focusing on single-family residential. And so that was a pivot, if you will. Um, It's really almost a totally different company at this point. Um, So that, that was the major pivot that we did. Um, we did voice of the customer interviews um, early 2015. Just the feedback and the response rate we were getting from asking to do voice of the customer interviews was already an indicator that, that this was the, you know, th- there was something here. What's happened since then is really um, just really refining that and probably more importantly, figuring out who are the right people to talk to and, and how to talk to them about this.
0: So, what's the, who do you talk to and how do you talk to them about it?
2: You know, there's a number of misconceptions about this industry. One of the problems actually is calling it multifamily, particularly around Boston, because then people think of triple deckers. And that will be a great market for us at some point. But what we figured out early on is that there's a fair amount of concentration in this market. So, there's, you know, the top 50 owners and managers of multifamily properties in the United States have about, I think, 54% of the units, the apartment units in the United States. So that already says, you know, this is a B2B sale. You know, all of us on the team have really done B2B properties in the past. And so it was pretty easy to figure out that, yes, we'll go to these larger institutions and we will try to make the sale you know at the C-suite level.
1: So one of the other industries that I I write about for my job is uh, charging infrastructure. And some uh, EV charging startups are just starting to enter the multifamily home. Would that be? But they don't. They don't do anything except for charging management. They would never go for energy management inside the home. But that seems like an analogous kind of partnership that imbue, um that would be favorable to both Imbue and the charging. Uh, startups.
2: No, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of opportunities like that. So, you know, at any point in, in you know, in, in, in a startup's history, you're simultaneously focusing on how am I making money today or, you know, tomorrow, um, the next day? And then, you know, where does this lead me, you know, kind of longer term? And you have to make sure you've, you've loaded the right part of your brain so you don't go talking to a customer about stuff that's way out there. Um, when really they're just trying to figure out if they buy this, are they going to make money or lose money on it in the next three months. So um, so the stuff I talked about, you know, labor, energy, building losses, that's all the near-term stuff that we're doing today. Um, but we have a lot of conversations with, you know, the larger operators or the tech people from those operators at the there's – there's actually a tech-oriented um, multifamily conference – uh, where they talk about this stuff all the time. I mean, they're thinking about, okay, um, we have multifamily properties with, you know, parking garages in them, and we think they're gonna be not exactly empty, but there's gonna be fewer vehicles in those. What are we gonna do with those? Um, so they're all, always thinking about, well, how do we, you know, do we host, you know, some lifts, you know, lift um, um, pick up and drop off areas? Do we have, you know, when we get to drive all those vehicles, are we going to have garage them in our, in our properties? So they're all thinking about that kind of stuff. From our point of view, um, we've always thought about the kind of bigger energy picture. That's a good example vehicle charging, um, having a relationship with the utility around demand response um, because there's a lot of thermal storage and electrical storage in that space once you've got the vehicles in there. Um, And so that's an area where the kind of energy management we're capable of doing with the platform would would extend across to things like, you know, vehicle charging, renewables. Um, You know, today, the utilities are very interested in peak demand management, so lowering the um, energy consumption in the building um, when there's, you know, a really hot day in the summertime, for instance. People are talking about resilience, which is essentially the same technology, but you're applying it to an event like we just experienced the last 24 hours with the, with the Nor'easter, where if you could island a property and ensure that you know, essential services, essential s- services to residents were continuing to operate even though maybe there's a power outage. Um, those are really, really interesting areas. And you know the utilities are interested in that. Uh, cities are interested in that and you know the large operators are interested in that.
0: Can you give us some examples of the hardware that you're putting into these buildings, the type of information that you're collecting, and how property managers use that information?
2: Sure. So what we're specifically putting into buildings today uh, actually starts with a smart thermostat. So a thermostat is a great device all by itself because it's managing one of the bigger energy loads in the, in the building. Um, and it's serving one of the main functions of a building, which is to keep people healthy and comfortable. <laughs> um, connecting that to, you know, to a network and to some analytics means that you're able to see you know, how that building is performing, how, does, how well is it using the energy, how efficiently is it using the energy, how comfortable are people both from a temperature and a humidity perspective. Um, so that's all great. You can extract that data out of the thermostat. You can control the thermostat. Um, with the resident's permission. The second thing our thermostat does is it's actually a router or a repeater in our network. So just by installing a thermostat that any of the property staff, any installer knows how to install, we magically kind of get a network across the building. Um, So it's a little bit different from uh, Wi-Fi that you would have in your home in that respect. Um, And it means that we're able to install very, very inexpensively in a large building. So that's the thermostat. Once the thermostat is there, we're able to attach other devices into that network. So water leak detector. This is actually the world's simplest IoT. But <laughs> you wouldn't believe how, uh, <laughs> how much excitement we got from you know, potential customers about that solution. Um, water leak detection. Uh, I mentioned that we detect both humidity and temperature. Um, humidity detection is kind of interesting because um, in a hot humid climate, uh, making sure that the humidity is, is, is not so high that you're making it you know, possible or likely for mold to form, that's a really big issue. Um, it also turns out that, um, you know, in our kind of climate in the wintertime, noticing that people have very, very low humidity, like five or 10 or 15%, that's really uncomfortable and unhealthy. Um, and that's a way that we and our customers can help can help the residents. Um, uh, we're able to do lighting. Um, uh, we're able to do door locks, smart door locks, um, and really, there's a whole raft of other, you know, IOTs that are coming on the market or at least that are becoming inexpensive um, that can be deployed in this environment.
0: Cool.
1: So, would you describe your core technology as your algorithms that you use to manage all of these IOT devices or is it the IOT devices and the hardware themselves
2: that's a good question it's definitely in the algorithms and the analytics and also automation mm-hmm. so one of the ways we're a little bit different from other folks in the building intelligence space is that we um, you know obviously we extract a lot of data analyze that and provide you know alerts on a real-time basis and then reports on how how the you know, how the property is operating. Lots of value there. Um, But we also do some automation. And one example of that is, you know, responding to a demand response request from the utility to lower your power usage. But other examples um, are simply, um, you know, saving energy by setting back the thermostat in an empty or a vacant apartment. Uh, We're able to do that in what we call a risk-free way. So, we know how the building performs, Uh, we know how cold that building will get if we lower the set point, and we know how how cold it will get relative to the outdoor temperature. So we can put in a deep setback, setting the thermostat back maybe five, maybe 10 degrees Fahrenheit, Um, but then when we know a cold snap's coming in, we can pull out of that uh, deep setback, keep the building safe, Um, but save as much energy as possible at different times. That's an example of automation, not just analytics. So we do some uh, of our own IOTs today, but that's not the long-term plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, We use third-party IOTs as much as possible.
1: How do you protect your intellectual property?
2: Um, So there's actually two things we're protecting, right? So one of them is the, the algorithms. But the second thing is just the amount of data that we're collecting. Mm. So, you know, what's really nice about a large apartment complex is there is a lot of data that you get in parallel out of every apartment. So you can, in a fairly short period of time, do peer to peer comparisons between apartments north side versus south side, upper floors versus lower floors and then normalize for resident behavior and things like that. Just imagine once we're in you know, you know, tens, and th- tens and hundreds of thousands of apartments and, and hundreds of buildings, um, we now have a data set that um, really nobody else has. And what's interesting is if you actually look out at the academic literature in this space, there is very little, surprisingly little uh, study that's been done of large apartment complexes ton of stuff done on single family residential. Um, And so that is actually something that, you know, quite simply we own that data. We'll license it to people, we'll license the the, the reports. So that's a big piece of it. The algorithm piece, you know, patenting things in general is kind of tricky these days. I think in the analytics space, um, you know, there's a lot of standard techniques that you use to really carve out your, your niche uh, from an IP perspective. And a lot of that is about integration of um, different algorithms for a particular uh, use case. In this case, you know, large multifamily buildings.
1: Mm-hmm. Going back to the data for a moment, because mm. um, that was a really interesting bit that I hadn't really thought of, but probably should have thought of. Um, what types of organizations do you license to?
2: So we're really early on. So a lot of these are discussions; they're not licenses yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a potentially very long list here. And actually, one of the interesting things about this business is, um, if you were to list all the people that might be interested in this data, you probably get, an, a, you know, you probably run out of fingers on your hand. That's probably not the right way to run the business to have that that you know that amount of complexity. But it does give a, give us a lot of choices. For us, the top three. Are, first of all, the customer themselves. So we're telling them how to run their building more efficiently. We're telling them potentially, giving them information which they can use to design their next building more efficiently. Um, and, 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 that, and that's all around the buildings, right? Um, they are really interested in how people use their buildings. Um, and, you know, we use the word building a lot, but it's really a people business. Um, it's all about the people living in the buildings and the people deciding where they're going to live and who who they're going to rent from. Um, and so there is a ton of work done trying to understand why people are happy or not happy in a building and how they're using the building. So we, we have that data for them. Um, so that's, that's the customers. Um, the energy one is, is next. Um, and that... That is data useful to you know utilities. It's useful to you know the construction industry around how again how these buildings are used and built. Uh, the third piece is insurance. So the insurance industry is really latching on to you know IoT enabled analytics. Um, so the examples that uh, we have today is you know you can get a device or just an app for your phone with your auto insurance that uh, is going to um, give you a lower rate as it verifies that you you know, drive nicely and, and don't behave like a Boston driver.
0: <laughs> um,
2: so that kind of thinking is really pervading the insurance industry. Um, so they are very, very interested in this kind of data.
0: So I think a lot of our listeners would be interested to hear more about your experience in um, Clean tech incubators in the Boston, Massachusetts area. I mean, we all see GreenTown Labs as a shining beacon of entrepreneurship uh, in the country, basically. But you were there. You sounds like you've been there since early days. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience with the ex- the incubators here in both Boston and now in the new Worcester space?
2: Sure, sure. So um, before there was something called Greentown Labs which was in, in in the Fort Point area in South Boston on Summer Street. Uh, there was actually an incredibly gritty little garage in um, really warehouse on uh, Charles Street in Cambridge. and we got involved in that um, around about 2010 something like that and it was simply um, you know a couple of couple of companies, you know they had some some desk space at I think Dogpatch at the time, and unfortunately you weren't allowed to do welding there. Uh, you weren't allowed to do pretty much anything that wasn't office related there, and so that was really a, a, a you know a crying need. Um, I think uh, the credit probably goes to Sam White at Promethean Power for finding this piece of, of warehouse space for a dime and then realizing it was way bigger than he could use and then putting the, the, the message out saying, hey, anybody else wanna want to move in here? Five companies moved in. Um, it was pretty gritty. There were undoubtedly code violations <laughs> going on in that building. Um, so it's probably not a good model for listeners to, uh, to perhaps repeat exactly that way. Um, so it started growing a little bit and, um, you know, The the challenge was that that building was going to get, you know, torn down and turned into, you know, um, biotech labs, actually. Um, So we needed to find some new space. And the problem you have as a very small company is people want you to take out a two-year lease or a five-year lease or something like that. And you just can't do it. But if five or six or seven or eight companies get together and form themselves into some sort of organization and take on that lease, you can actually do that and that was really very you know concrete near-term focused goal on getting that um, along the way the folks um, starting this including um, Jason Hanna um, and three other companies I think decided to create this name Greentown Labs and go look for space and they found this great space and it really just grew bottoms up like that what was funny was very quickly um, I think both both Sam and Jason and and some of the other folks found that you could get sponsorship for this. You you know, a law firm would give you some actual Mm -hmm. real money. Other companies would give you free licenses, uh, which by the way, was a great deal for them because, you know, a company that's selling uh, development tools knows that their stuff is getting sort of borrowed slash stolen from universities um, by very scrappy early startups. So if they... Formally donate that, get their name on the door, um, get an early mm-hmm. customer for life. You know, it all just works out. Yeah. So a lot of things sort of happened organically like that. Um, and what was really funny is it became very successful very quickly. Um, people latched onto it. Uh, the, the mayor of Boston, Mayor Menino, visited when we opened Um it was just very high profile. then f- folks started visiting from other cities saying, "Hey, how do you run one of these incubators?" And they were doing it the other way around. They had got a bunch of government money, and they're like, "Now what do we do?" <laughs> and it was like, well, um, that's well, I don't know, I don't know how you do that because we did it the other way you know <laughs> and so um, so it was interesting. I mean it was very much like a startup right instead of it started with the idea and some practical, um, you know, near, you know, minimum viable product for, for Greentown Labs was just somewhere where people could work. And then it grew into, um, you know, a much more strategic and impactful um, organization, you know, on the national, even international stage. So you, you, you mentioned. Um, Worcester, we took space out there because um, it's inexpensive for us when we need to, you know, do large-scale testing and large-scale staging of, you know, hundreds of devices. Um, And it's great. It actually feels kind of like Greentown Labs did over on Summer Street. Um, You know, I haven't actually been scraping the paint off the ceilings and and, and so forth like I was over at Summer Street, but, (laughs) you know, it very much has that sort of um, vibe that, that I think really helps when you're an early stage company kind of remind yourself to just you know get down and get your work done and not go you know make an espresso with a nice espresso machine
0: what do they do that's so
2: important you know a lot of it is this sounds so trite but it's um a lot of it is the connections um and so um large corporations are still trying to figure out this innovation thing right (laughs) definitely and um (laughs) So they will interact with... They, they are desperate to interact with with startups and learn more about you know, emerging technologies. Um, startups, particularly in the cleantech space, um, get a lot of value out of strategic relationships with these larger companies. Um, and so that's one kind of networking that goes on. Um, there's a lot of sharing goes on between the companies. Um, a typical thing is that... Um, you know, people are underutilized in one startup, or a startup has a need for somebody, but not on a full-time basis. And so, there's a ecosystem of either formal or informal, um, you know, you know, effectively job sharing between mm. between startups. Yeah. There's a, there's a you know there's a cottage industry of of contractors and gig gig workers, gig tech workers in that space. Uh, that's a little more formalized, but um, that is really really. Um, Really, really important as a, as a small startup. I think that's really cool. Interesting. You do,
1: you do actually see, like, if you hang around Greentown long enough, I worked at Open Water Power for about a year. Oh, sure. Um, and before that, I was an intern at Cool Chip. Exactly. which And I just knocked on Open Water's door. And there are a number of interns that move around from one Greentown startup to the other. So, like, for example, the founder of Loci, um, is now working at right-hand robotics as one of their chief engineers because those are his friends and they know him <laughs> and he knows them and everybody knows what each other is capable of. So it's not so much of a risky hire, but you do come into this problem of you see the same five faces, maybe more than five faces, you see <laughs> uh, the same, like, 20 faces moving around from company to company. Um and it's, it's kind of interesting. It's it's both a good thing and, you know, maybe we should get some new people
0: involved. <laughs> a good thing and a bad thing. A little yeah. Incestuous. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's really interesting, this kind of secondary industry of, you know, like contractors and I assume lawyers, that having all of these startups in one place makes it much easier for those resources to not only become accessible to startups who need them and identify good ones, but also for that kind of like secondary industry to grow on its own, which is a useful resource for the ecosystem. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. That's really cool. Wait, any other juicy stories from the early days at Green uh, Greentown labs that people would find interesting? Okay, cool. So last few questions. Um, so thinking back to either the early days of imbue or early days as an entrepreneur, is there something that you wish that you could tell yourself now, like you wish you knew earlier?
2: That's a really good question. Uh, so my first, my gut reaction is is kind of no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, experience counts a lot, but it doesn't actually count a whole lot, hmm. um, which is probably not what you're expecting from. Um, Somebody, um, I I think I'm in the category that's called 50-plus entrepreneurs. It's now like a category. Yeah, yeah. And actually, if you look at the stats, the stats on um, more mature uh, entrepreneurs are actually pretty good. But I'm not going to sit out there and say, you know, you need to go get a real job and then, you know, decide in your 40s or whatever, 50s to be an entrepreneur because I just don't think that's true. I think what you need to do is be a very good listener and very observant, and also have a pretty good imagination. So if you meet with customers, or you know, not even customers at that point because you haven't figured out what you're going to do, listen to them and sort of follow them around, and and then but use your imagination to sort of imagine. Okay, what if I was doing that all day? You know. (laughs) Um, So you know, you're following following somebody around an apartment complex, and you know you suddenly realize, well, geez, we're walking around a lot. And, and this is just because he's taking me to a couple of apartments to look at. This guy must do this all day. And, at, you know, one of our customers, um, it's a scattered. It's what's called Scattered sites, so it's a bunch of buildings spread over a fairly wide area. Uh, we figured out if you walk to the front door of every building, it's 1.5 miles, right? So you just sort of put that sort of thinking to You think, gee, that sounds like a pain point to me. <laughs> and, and so just using, um, as I said, powers of observation and, and some imagination and sort of empathy of putting yourself in the position of somebody else. I think that goes a long way to being able to identify um, you know, unmet needs or even unrecognized needs.
1: What would be the biggest thing that you think needs to change for more entrepreneurs to be more successful?
2: I think it actually is diversity. And, um, and there's a lot of dimensions to that diversity. So one of them, obviously, is ethnicity, the lack of, of you know, females in, in, um, in a lot of different tech spaces. Um, but I think it's more than that. It is really easy to just repeat what you've done before and hire the same kind of people and as a VC, you know, back the same kind of people. But I think there is a lot of, there's, there's two values to the diversity piece. Uh, one of them is that um, there's a lot of resources that you're just not tapping into. But the other one is that people do bring different different perspectives to you know to to the environment. And so I think people need to be uh, a lot more open-minded um, and not as sort of stereotyped. And you know I think um, I think folks in the tech media. <laughs> you know, it'd certainly have a role to play there because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, sort of cliches that are repeated. And you know, one example of that would be at Greentown Labs. Um, there are a ton of people there from you know all of the universities and colleges in, in Massachusetts that that you know deliver anybody that that has skills applicable in in, in the clean tech space. But you'll often find people just sort of saying, you know, Harvard, MIT, Harvard, MIT, um, and you know, those are fantastic institutions. But there are, you know, there are a ton of really strong universities around here. And I think you need to work on not just repeating the cliche, which is a really easy thing to do, and it and it's sort of a shorthand for oh, some smart techie person, um, and really just making sure that you're balancing that and just highlighting people if they're from another university. Um, that, that would be my, my kind of big ask. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and that's definitely one of the things that we were actually thinking of like pre-season one, episode one, was why we want to do this podcast in order to highlight the types of diversity that we want to see in the community, whether it's diversity of educational backgrounds Or diversity in terms of you know gender or race or religion or
0: like age whatever. Um,
2: Age is is important.
0: (laughs) Do you? Well, I think I'd like to talk about that for just a second. Maybe hold ourselves accountable. I mean, yeah. do you think we were successful in that, Chloe? I mean, if you look at our profile of interviewees, it probably matches exactly what Robert was describing. You know, probably white male Harvard or MIT educated entrepreneurs in this space.
1: Although we have, we have had more MIT grads than, you know, any, than probably any other type of grad. Um, the percentage of MIT grads on our show has been less than is the the actual one like at Greentown or within the community. And we do have a reasonably good
0: ethnic diversity. Okay. I don't know. I think we can do better. Maybe for some people. Well, absolutely. We'll figure yeah. It out. Yeah, we can yeah, definitely I, do I better. I think the
2: other thing is to recognize that the um, the tech industry in general has actually is one of the more accepting industries in terms of, let's just say, different personality types. So, you know, there's a bunch of kind of weird people in in tech, you know. Um, Obviously, a lot of introverts, but, you know, and and they're really awesome people, which is why you you hire them and go through the the challenges of, of, you know, managing different personality types. So there's definitely that kind of diversity in tech. So why can't there be, you know, other kinds of diversity? Totally.
1: So you mentioned that you got a master's in sustainability from Harvard Extension. Um, how did you personally consider getting involved in sustainability space, and why is this project important to you?
2: Sure. So I've always had um, a strong interest in environmentalism, and you know, around 2008, 2009, I realized there was a serious risk I was actually going to retire at the company I was working at. Um, So I wanted to do something different, and I realized that the thing I should do different would be to combine my, you know, my interest and passion and sustainability with my career. What's interesting is um, you originally think, wow, I could do anything, you know. Um, But then you realize that you'll be, you know, somebody in their late 40s, early 50s, uh, fresh out with a new credential and no experience. So that's probably not going to work that well. So for me, the intersection of where I was in, in the tech space and where I wanted to be in the sustainability space clearly was, was buildings.
1: Cool. All right. well, Robert, thank you so much for thank sitting you. down with us yeah, this morning. Thank you. Um, it is It was a little earlier than we normally do on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, in the show notes, you will find more information on AmbbuU. Um, and if you would like to support the show, please tell a friend. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Yeah, just Subscribe. do it. I don't, have, I don't
0: have a challenge, but yep. please give us the five-star <laughs> review. I
1: think we're starting stopping with the challenges. Well,
0: I mean, you know, we only have a few more this season anyway, so yeah. we'll see. Just give us five stars, jerks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sign up for a mailing list so that you you get the notification when a n- new episode is going to come up. Um Please email us at contact at TalkCleanPodcast.com. Tweet us at TalkCleanPodcast.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Robert, thank you again for sitting down.
2: Thank you very much. It was fun.